0: You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Here's here's a question I want to ask you as we start our teaching How did you get here today? I, I don't mean driving, I don't mean the bus, I don't mean walking. I want you to go back to your very first church experiences. Can you go back and just remember how you got introduced to church? It may have been this church. Or you may be like me. You may have grown up in church. You know, you were just kind of raised in the church. You didn't have a choice. (laughs) You had to come to church. And some of you are already feeling inside of you, I know what that feels like. Or maybe you came into church later in life, maybe as an adult or a young adult or a teenager, somebody had an opportunity, they introduced you, and that became part of you got exposed to a church. Might be in a different country, might be in a different province, it might even be from a different era of church. But remember those first moments and what church felt like. Just remember the feeling of the experience you had when you first came to church. Because here's the truth. Wherever you first experienced God or church, that shaped your idea of what was spiritual and what wasn't spiritual. So I grew up in a church that really the feeling I had all the time is that it was very serious and very solemn. So I took those two attributes of being serious and solemn and I equated them to everything spiritual. If it's truly spiritual, it's serious or if it's truly spiritual, it's very solemn. In fact, you may have even been in a more aggressive church, one that someone might say, hey, wipe that smile off your face. Don't you know you're in church? Usually it's not that overt, though. It's more nuanced. Maybe in the church you grew up in or you first experienced God, you looked around and people just seemed upset. They were upset about the world and what was going on out there. They were filled with worry and fear. There was a seriousness about it. And because you experienced that early and often, what happened was you began to see spiritual things as serious and solemn and and staid. And that really, the idea of celebrating, laughing or smiling, that wasn't for church. That wasn't part of the church plan. Here was the problem though, if you're like me growing up in church, You start reading the Bible, and you start reading things like what King David said. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord and worship. I was excited. I anticipated this moment. I was pumped when they said to me that we could go to the house of the Lord and celebrate. But for many of us, that's not our church experience. In fact, some of us would easierly, we better acquaint going to church with going to the dentist. Let us go to the house of dentistry. I know know we have some dentists in this church and dental hygienists, and can we all say we love them? We love you. I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know we are not really always happy to see you, but we love you. Thanks to you for the work that you do. But, you know, we don't want to see you, though, all the time. A lot of people's church experience is a little bit like going to the dentist. Uh, Someone made you go. Someone made you go to the dentist. You know, your parents made you go. Someone made you go to church. Some people go to the dentist because it's the right thing and you have to do it. It's just the right thing to do and it's something you know you should do. Some of us end up going to church for those same reasons. It's just the right thing to do, or we feel like we have to go to church. I know when you think of church culture, you don't often think of dentistry, but I do. (laughs) Because, you know, have you ever noticed now, it may not be true of you, but it's been true of me over the years, when you go to the dentist, the dentist asks you questions or makes statements that make you feel bad about yourself. Like, oh, Jonathan, I have not seen you in a while. Some of you are afraid every time you come back to church after there's been a gap. I haven't seen you in a while. Or the dental hygienist. I love the dental hygienist because they always ask you about your personal habits, right? Jonathan, when was the last time you flossed? Like they can't tell as your your, your gums are bleeding everywhere. They know. They already know before they ask. I know they know. When I was younger, I used to think in my mind, I, I never had the guts to do it, but I wanted to say, when they said, Jonathan, when's the last time you flossed? I want to say, well, well, you probably know better than I, because it was, you did it. <laughs> you know, it's been that long. It's been that long. And we end up in dentistry, a little bit like in church, feeling a little bit of shame. And then we, we lie. We lie, don't we? You know, we give them money, and we say, oh, well, I'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, soon. Here's the deal when it comes to church and and even dentistry and why I'm kind of paralleling them just as a joke. A lot of people won't see the dentist until they can no longer avoid the pain. Because they don't like the way it feels. The kind of fear or the the feeling of the office, the smell of the medical equipment, you know that smell, you know it, the sound of the drill in the background. (laughs) And some people, they do everything they can to avoid church until the pain of life is too much. Because they've experienced some sort of church, and it wasn't really an expression of what God has in Scripture, but it was just, a, it wasn't fun. In fact, some people, when they think of church, they think of Christians as being boring, uptight, prudes, repressed. These are all kind of words. And so they don't want to get around them too much because they might become... Like them. That's what that's what some people think. Now, maybe you grew up in that environment. You knew this. It was serious, and it certainly was not fun. Shouldn't be fun. Part of the problem is is we often see the words. Let me be just for the record. Spiritual things are solemn, and are serious. But we equate the solemn and seriousness more like a funeral, as opposed to a wedding. How many know a wedding is solemn? It's a solemn occasion. It's a, it, it's a serious occasion. People are committing to each other for life before God and friends. Like It's a serious and solemn occasion. But how many know there should be joy in the house? It should be filled with love. There should be an atmosphere of excitement even and anticipation. And that type of solemn and serious is more what the Bible actually teaches us. I remember when my younger sister was married. This is a picture of her on her wedding day. Now, I remember it well. This is my brother-in-law, Carl. And uh, Sue's the one on the right, just in case you didn't know. But she's the one on the right. And uh, Sue is so much fun. She loves to party. She loves to have fun. She's just a great gal, loves life. Uh, Here's the interesting thing. It was a wonderful wedding day. I performed the ceremony. That was so cool to be able to do for my younger sister. And my oldest son was just a little guy. He was the ring bearer. He looked great in the suit. Like It was a great day. Then we had a reception at our church we grew up in right after it. And then we went home. And I thought, that was it, right? But later that week, someone said to me, hey, how come I didn't see you at the party? What party? Apparently, my fun, loving sister had an after party. And none of us from that church side were invited. And I can't say I blame her, because there was dancing at this party. In the culture I grew up in, we all knew where dancing led. (laughs) Dancing led to the death penalty. Did you know that? You know, first you dance, and then obviously you'll fall into a life of drugs, and then you'll probably start dealing drugs. Then there will be an incident, someone will die, you're on death row, all because you danced. That's how it works. Slippery slope. That's how it worked. (laughs) So, so, I mean, uh, friends, we all know people that we really love and respect, but we wouldn't invite them to our party because somehow they would bring down the tone just by being there. And a lot of us grew up thinking of church that way, thinking of celebrations that way. And here's the difficulty I have with it. A Christianity that doesn't have joy and celebration at its center is dangerous Because Jesus was a man who was known to have immense joy. And if you read the Gospels, you realize everywhere Jesus went, he either was invited to parties or he was the party. All the time. He's invited to wedding parties. Matthew gets to know him. He invites all his friends and he has Jesus and he throws a big party. There's a celebration. And here, if he was just a religious man that everybody respected, again, they would want to be around him, but they wouldn't invite him to their parties. Here's the thing. Jesus was a man of immense joy. He loved people, and people loved him. People loved him. Some of us, when it comes to our faith or what we come to understand about spirituality, and this is what happens when it gets wrongly balanced. All of a sudden, churches and Christians become known for what they stand against instead of what they're for. They become known for what they're against instead of what they're for. So, I mean... Many people grew up, and maybe this was your struggle with Christianity. You you know, maybe Christians were anti-abortion, anti-TV, anti-gay, anti-gambling, anti-Harry Potter, anti-dancing, anti-alcohol, but they were comfortable with gluttony. Uh, They were anti-swearing, but they were comfortable with words that were different than the swear words, but meant the same thing. You knew they were anti-sex because you knew where that could lead, to dancing, right? It would lead right to dancing. It would go right back there. So you had these ideas of what Christianity was more against than what it was for, and it shapes your idea of how you even experience a gathering like this or how you experience faith. You didn't think of the church as a celebration, a party. You didn't think of Christians as party people. But I want to show you today because we 're headed into the Easter season and we 're asking you to invite people to alpha and invite people to Easter and invite people to the post Easter series I want you to show I want to show you today that actually God commands people to celebrate and party i 'll show you this in Leviticus chapter twenty three and here 's the interesting thing as we head there and you can turn in your Bibles there if you haven 't already the interesting thing is that that we are inviting people not to a church service, we're inviting them to a celebration. A celebration. And the interesting thing is, it's not that Christians are living in some state of denial, that they don't see all the pain and brokenness in this world. Because we do. And we are to be people who fight for justice, walk humbly, but we do it with a spirit of joy. Here's why. Because we know what God has done for us in Jesus We know what God is doing right now, who he is, and we allow that to fill us with faith for what God is yet to do, that God will do what he's done in days gone by because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Leviticus. Why did people laugh when I said Leviticus? Leviticus is, now, just so if you're new to church, people around you, there's a lot of people around you that start the year out trying to read through the Bible. They really, and it's because they recognize it's the word of God. It's so helpful. It builds them up. So they want to read through the Bible. And Leviticus is the Bible reader killer because they hit Genesis and they think, wow, what an incredible story, amazing narrative. They get to Exodus. It's even more exciting. There's Red Seas parting. There's all kinds of stuff happening. And then Leviticus. And they tap out. Here's why, because Leviticus is the book of laws, book of commands, and an ancient culture that's very difficult to navigate in our modern minds how it worked. But it was during a season when the children of God were journeying through the desert, God gave him some commands in the book of Leviticus. And we're gonna see in this passage, there are seven parties, seven celebrations, seven festivals that God commanded his people to keep yearly. Let's start in verse one. Leviticus 23, verse 1 says this. And the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Who do the festivals the party belong to? The Lord's. Yeah. See, you're you're awake. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. For holy assembly. So, recognizing right from the beginning that these are appointed days, they're scheduled. In fact, when you do the math in this Jewish calendar, it's very interesting. All seven festivals totaled up was about 30 days. Then, if you add in the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was supposed to be a weekly celebration of God's faithfulness, giving gratitude to God and expressing worship for where God is taking us, there is a weekly day. Built in. If you total those up, plus wedding and birth uh, celebrations that were all part of this this culture, it came out to three months of partying. Three months per calendar year of celebration. I mean, these people knew how to party. It was three months worth, and it was scheduled, it was appointed, it was regular, it was normal, it was built into their calendar. And they were made for holy assembly. There was something about us doing it together. One theologian, when reflecting on what God commanded in Leviticus chapter 23, he said this, party is sacrament. Can you say it together with me? Party is sacrament. Now, some of you, that was really hard to get out. <laughs> Not because sacrament's a weird word. It's just difficult to understand it this way because we, we have grown up in a solemn and serious environment, and I respect that. But here's what a sacrament is, especially if you came from a traditional environment, you already know this. A a sacred act instituted by God Himself. So traditionally, the sacraments of the church would be communion, would be a wedding, would be baptism, a sacred act instituted by God Himself. So theologians would look at Leviticus 23 and say celebration is a sacrament, party is a sacrament. This is something that God instituted himself for people that follow him. Look at, look at what else. Let's keep going because we're going to look at the seventh of them in just a minute. But before we do, look at the significance of what is called the Sabbath day. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. Six days for ordinary work, ordinary rhythms in life. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest. What for? An official day for holy assembly. Very interesting, when we think of Sabbath, often we think it's just for a rest. But no, 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 it, it's not so you sleep in and download the podcast of the message later. <laughs> it's not that you, you, you can press pause, watch football on Sunday, and then, then maybe think about listening to the message later. No, it was like about gathering. It's not about the sermon, downloading the sermon, or, or playing your favorite worship song. I mean, you may be in moments in life where you, you can't get out. I get it. But there's something about the assembly coming together that is sacred that is part of how our faith is built, how joy erupts in us, how gratitude, and we're reminded of it. Apparently, gathering was kind of God's idea. Did you ever have a party by yourself? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> not very good at that. He goes on to say this about the Sabbath. He said, In addition to the Sabbath, these are the Lord's appointed festivals. Again, it belongs to God. The official days of holy assembly that are to be celebrated at the proper times each year. What what I want you to see from this is very interesting about these parties. They're on the calendar. They're already scheduled. Whether you feel like it or not. So, moment of honesty from all of you today. How many of you have ever gone to work when you didn't feel like going to work? Well, clearly some of you have lived silver spoon lives because you've loved every day you've gone to work. You know, why'd you do that? Because it's on the schedule. It's something that doesn't matter how you feel, it's what you do, it's, it's what we do. And God knew this about us. He knew that we would tend to follow our feelings all the time. And if we only came and gathered in assembly for celebration when we felt like it, how many know life is tough at times? There's a lot of stuff that happens at times. We're not always up for it all the time. And if we did it only when we felt like it, man, some of us wouldn't be here very often. Instead, we do it because it's on the schedule and it matters. God knows this about us. When we do things that are good and healthy, even if we don't feel like it, good things always follow. Eventually, your emotions catch up with your experience. Eventually, that happens. So, he talks about these things for holy assembly, and then he wants us to understand that these are moments where we take our eyes off of our difficulties, we don't discount them, but we shift our focus from all the stuff that's tough in our lives, and we focus our eyes on what God has done, what he's doing, and what he will do. That's a narrative you're going to see through all seven of these parties. You ready to look at the parties? Woohoo. Passover. First party mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. It says this The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. Now, likely many of us are aware of this word Passover. Even if you're not familiar with church, you've probably seen Charlton Heston as Moses or someone in the Ten Commandments. You've seen the movie, maybe. But this is in reference to a season where the children of God have been in slavery for several decades, or several uh, centuries. They've been in slavery. Moses shows up and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. And in result, there are these series of plagues that happen. Uh, There's locusts, there's boils, there's the waters turned to blood. Some of you would know that. But still, it didn't melt Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was still unwilling but then there was the final plague, which was the, called the angel of death. And the people who had put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, when the angel of death passed over, no harm would come to them. But some of you know the story. Pharaoh lost his firstborn son, as did many other Egyptians. And as a result, Pharaoh said, get out of here. And he let the people go. And every year, for seven days, they would pause to party to remember, we were once slaves, and now we're free. God rescued us. God redeemed us. In the past, this is what he's done, and we never want to forget this, but they also look to the future, to a future rescue for a future Messiah, a future deliverer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it talks about that future deliverer, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, a foreshadowing of what he would do. Every one of these celebrations had an element of commemoration and anticipation. They're a lot like a good birthday party. Uh, When growing up, I'm I'm one of six kids, and so you know it wasn't like we went to McDonald's and had all of our friends for a birthday party. Too much money. So we did family-only birthday things. Some of you might know what I mean. So, but always, no matter how simple the birthday party was, there was an element of these being celebrated. My mom would always say the same thing every year for me. I remember when you were born. You were born at 4.59 p.m., just in time for supper. And it was always a reference to my healthy appetite and my love of food. It was all, every year this would happen. Then there would be a sense of celebration of the present. We're so thankful you're in our life. Not every year was that easy for them to say of me. But there was a celebration of the present. And then... In our home growing up, we'd sing happy birthday, and we'd always add to the end of it, and many more. How many of you do that? Yeah. Yeah, we're weird, but we did that. And we would there would always be a sense of like we're looking forward to celebrating many more of these with you because your life matters. Now we we're all busy, but we all paused to celebrate that person on their birthday. It was significant. And in all of these festivals, there's a sense of we look back and we remember the past. You know I love history. You've heard it many times over the years. You know I valued those who've come before me. You know, I'm so thankful in this church. And if you got the lead pastor's email, you saw my little write-up on Pastor Mulligan and Pastor Smith this week. So thankful that in this church, we have the two previous lead pastors a part of this congregation. Wow. That, that we have people in this church that have been sacrificially serving and giving for decades. Just amazing that we have this in this congregation. I love that. I am humbled by that. That is amazing. And in these moments where these, these festivals being celebrated, they always remembered the past because you see the faithfulness of God. But they always remembered the present. They looked around. They reminded themselves of who God is today. He's the same yesterday as he is today. And they allowed that to fill them with faith for what was yet to come. Oh, they might not be experiencing good things now, but they were looking forward to what God would yet do. That's Passover. Next one. Next party was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Does that not sound like a party? (laughs) On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival. I love that. Begin celebrating. Can you say that with me? Begin celebrating, just in case you're unconvinced yet. The festival of unleavened bread. The festival to the Lord continues for seven days. These guys knew how to party. And during that time, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. Sounds like a funny party instruction, doesn't it? Made without yeast. Here's the idea behind it. When Pharaoh finally said, get out of here, I'm going to let your people free, Moses wanted to move them out as quick as possible before Pharaoh changed his mind. So they had to leave before their bread had even risen. So they went, and they went with bread that had no yeast in it. And they would travel every year for seven days. They would only eat bread without yeast in it. And the reason they did that was because they were remembering. They were remembering a moment in time where they had been captives for centuries. And they were freed in a moment. And there was no delay. Quick, let's move forward. Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8 reminds us that we were all in Egypt once. We were all slaves to sin. And sin had a power over us to control us. So that we would do what what we don't even want to do. And we would do things that would actually be destructive to us. Sin controlled us. And why we gather and celebrate is because we're remembering. We remember Egypt. I remember my life before Jesus. I remember this. Now, why would Jesus institute this? Why would God institute this? Because he knew we forget good things. This is why it's always good to remember your anniversary, men. Why do we have these moments? Why do we have birthday parties? We're trying to remember Something good. And in the everyday moments of life, we start taking for granted the great things that have happened in our life. There's an old hymn I grew up singing, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You remember that? Some of you would. The idea is this. Friends, we need to keep remembering and why David would say, I need to be reminded of the joy of my salvation. Friends, if you are in Christ amazing. You have been set free from slavery. What? Where would you be had God not intervened? There's this moment, how can we not be filled with joy? How can we not help but celebrate? Oh, but but t- life is tough at work, or life is, I'm, I'm not minimizing any of that, but you get the best stuff already settled. There's so much to lean into and experience joy. That's why we gave you these Invites on the way in. It's not for you. It's for you to give others, to invite them to come to the Go Ahead and Ask series. Why? Because you want other people to experience what you've experienced, that they would experience a freedom from sin and slavery just like you have, or to invite them to Alpha, and we have all the invites in the lobby if you want to do this, but to think of somebody who maybe you're inviting them to a celebration of exploring the meaning of life and who God is. It's not a hard sell. You're not inviting them to a religious experience. You're not inviting them to a service. You're inviting them to a celebration because you remember when you were in the prison of betrayal. You remember when loneliness gripped your heart and wouldn't let go. You remember when fear gripped you and wrapped its hands around you. You remember the guilt of the sin that you carried. And then you remember when that all changed. When all of a sudden you were forgiven. When all of a sudden you were made brand new from the inside out when he set you free. Uh, we can't stop at party number two. Let's go to party number three. This is one of my favorites the Feast of First Fruits. Feast of First Fruits. It's outlined in scripture there. You can read it on your own, but let me give you just a, a, a synopsis of it. In the Feast of First Fruits, Everyone was commanded, who had, who was, it was an agricultural uh, society, whenever they harvested their first sheath of wheat, they brought it to the temple without doing any more harvest. They stopped their harvest, and they brought it to the temple, and the priests would wave it before God as a sacrifice. And this is so cool. You know what they were doing? They were thanking God before the harvest. They were thanking God in advance of seeing the harvest. It was a trust thing. It was a gratitude and trust thing that they were doing. They were thanking God well in advance. Now, this is hard to do. Because we are human beings, have you ever noticed we have a propensity to focus on the negative over the positive? I mean, that's why we love gossip, friends. How much good gossip have you heard this week? You know, hey, I don't mean to tell you anything, but I want you to know this guy's an amazing person. Nobody goes around gossiping good stuff. (laughs) They gossip the juicy stuff. Why? Because we love the juice. That's what it is. We have a propensity. Listen, uh, you could be critiqued once, and you could get 10 praiseworthy comments, and what do you remember? You remember that negative comment over and over. It comes into your life, part of your narrative. And when we've experienced things negatively in life, we have trouble trusting God with those first fruits in our life. So uh, we did an offering earlier. Every time you give financially like that or give of your time or anything, it's like you're saying, God, I trust you with my future, and I'm thankful for your provision. Even when it's tough. You're not waiting for your harvest. Sometimes you're doing it in advance of your harvest. Why? Because I trust God is my daily provider. I don't see it right now, but I trust I'm going to experience it. It's an incredible act of faith. But I know this because I'm the same as you. When something negative happens, I have trouble getting out of that spiral. A uh, cu- couple weeks ago, I was driving home, been here late at night. And I'm driving home. I'm dri- we have two vehicles. We're blessed with two vehicles. They're old, but they work great. And we have, I have this car. And I was driving home, and the car was on empty, like below the E below the E because I'm a man of faith and it stresses Shelly out but I always feel like I know how much gas I still have left in this car and I'm driving home and I think to myself I got to fill this I'll do it tomorrow morning and I thought it's Saturday I'm gonna get up at 630 now why 630 because Costco and I'm a member at Costco has cheap gas friends cheap gas and I never get gas there and I'll tell you why because the lineups are forever. They take, like, it's like, I'm gonna, whatever advantage I'm going to save financially, I'm going to lose idling my vehicle, waiting in line for this. But I know if you go early, there's no lineup. So I think to myself, I get up early Saturday, and I think, I'm going I'm to fuel both of my vehicles. I'm going to save some money today. I'm going to save some real money. So I get in the truck, which is our second vehicle, and I drive it down. I drive it down. I'm Listen to music, I'm thinking about the weekend, all kinds of stuff, and I pull into Costco, no line up. Pull in right at the pump, I look down to turn off the truck, I turn it off, and I look at the, just before I do, I look at the gas gauge, and the truck is full. (laughs) I just drove my truck there for no reason at all. And you know what? Uh, You're a little miffed at this point because you're thinking like, oh, okay, Shelly filled it. Okay, okay. So I get back in the truck, or I I start the truck up, I drive all the way home. I get in the car because I know the car's empty. And sure enough, it was in the morning. There was no miraculous growth of of gas overnight. I drive it down there, and the lineup's a little longer now. I went early to avoid this. I get up there, I open the gas uh, tank, I put in my Costco membership card, declined. Literally, friends, it was expired. It had expired the day before. So I'm really happy now. Joy, just abundant, filled with joy, overflowing. As I start the car up, and I, you know, at first I put the cap back on, everybody's looking at me because we've been waiting in line and I've been like there like five seconds at the thing. As I put up the cap, I drive all the way back, I go to the gas station that's right next to my house and fuel it up. <laughs> I've been up early, I could have saved like $3 and I didn't. I've driven both vehicles for no very good reason. And you know what's amazing? How much that bugged me the rest of the day. A little negative thing happens and all of a sudden it kind of It kind of colors the way I see everything. It's amazing when a little negative thing happens. You know, it's amazing how so many things don't go well for you. How hard life can be. Here's what happens to all of us. And we expect something. And when we experience something different from what we expect, there's a gap. And we fill the gap with all kinds of stuff. Fill the gap with disappointment. Fill the gap with anger. Fill the gap with negativity. Uh, when, when the disciples, when Jesus died, what, was that what they expected? Well, come to Easter, I'll, I'll fill in the blank for you there, but, but let me tell you, they did not expect that. Even though he's telling them, they didn't expect this to happen, and they experienced something completely different than what they expected. What did they fill the gap with? Doubt, fear, worry, They ran. There was all kinds of things. They denied Jesus. They're incredible what they filled the gap with. The feast of first fruits reminds us that when we experience a gap from what we expect in being a Christian or what we expect with God and what we experience, and this is what jeopardizes a lot of people's faith, they expect this from God. They expect because they're a Christian, this will happen. And when they experience something different, They put all kinds of stuff in between. The Feast of Weeks reminds us of a party celebration where we choose. Here's the beautiful thing is, you always get to choose what you put in here. You don't feel like you get to choose, but you always get to choose. And the Feast of Weeks reminds us, fill the gap with trust. Fill the gap with trust. Trust them with your first fruits even before the harvest comes in. Because why? Well, It may not be what you expected, but you know this is true of God. God has been faithful in the past. Fill it with trust and allow God to experience something different in your life. How many, some of you have known the Lord a long time and you've suffered disappointment with God, and that's okay. You've been even angry at God, that's all right. But how many have lived long enough to recognize there have been moments where you doubted him, where you were angry at him, And in hindsight, you look and you see, God saw me through it all. God saw me through it all. The Feast of Weeks, this party, reminds us to fill the gap with trust. That allows gratitude to build. That allows joy to erupt. Next feast here. The next feast is the Feast of Weeks. Nice name. Or the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is a Greek word that literally means 50. Now, why it means 50 is it was 50 days after the first fruits feast party, all of the harvest was now brought in. You took your initial harvest, to the priest, but now you've, you've harvested everything. It's 50 days later, it's the day of Pentecost, it's the feast of weeks that happens at that point. And there's a sense of gratitude, you're thanking God for all that he's given, but you're also, it's also foreshadowing what God has yet to give. And in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, thank you very much, the Holy Spirit is given. There's this harvest that happens and the early church's birth. Now do the math with me. Jesus was crucified during Passover, just before the first fruit ceremony. He died and he rose how many days later? Three days later. How'd you guess that? Three days later. And then it says in the Bible, and you can track this, Paul does quite a bit of writing around this. Jesus, in his resurrected state, spent 40 days on earth with his disciples. 40 plus three is? It's 43, just to be clear. It's 43. Then Jesus, res- he went to be, sent it to the uh, Father in heaven, and his disciples waited in the upper room for seven days, one week. 43 plus seven equals? Pardon? 50. 50. 50 days after they experienced one of the greatest disappointments of their life, Jesus had died. 50 days after harvest. The Holy Spirit comes. He comes in power. He ignites the early church and releases the early church. And this festival reminds us that every time we gather, we are remembering all that God did for us. We are expressing gratitude for what He's doing right now and gratitude for who He is. But here's the difference we are worshiping God for what He is yet to do. Oh, for what He is yet to do. There's another party here. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. And I'm not going to spend long on it, except that the trumpet blast was an indication of the presence of God. And it's a foreshadowing of the second coming of Christ. And so we gather and remind ourselves frequently that Jesus is returning again, because that's going to be a great day. And then the sixth feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a great feast. Look at this. He says this. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees. Not Charlie Brown trees, not those unmagnificent trees, but magnificent trees. Uh, palm fronds I have no idea what that means, actually. I didn't even bother looking up Boughs from leafy trees, because we all hate the unleafy kind. Uh, willows that grow by the streams, then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. Now, this one is rooted when the children of God are in the desert. They've gone into the desert, they've had to mill temporary structures wherever they go, tents. And they build these tents and they would just collapse them, move along, collapse them, move them along, just other branches. So they have this instituted party where they remember that, that for seven days they would gather branches and everything. They build an external structure. They would go camping for a week. And what they were doing is they're reminding themselves. This is pretty neat. You're going to see a pattern here. They're reminding themselves. At one time, we were slaves. But now, we're free. At one time, we lived in tents. But now, we have a home. At one time, we wandered and we had no place to call home. And now, we're in the promised land. This is an incredible feast. It's a reminder that all of our troubles and difficulties are temporary. Can you turn to someone next to you and say, just temporary? Just temporary. This world is temporary. Our bodies are like tents that are temporary. We're not long for this world. Our life on this planet is but a breath. But eternity is forever. And we remind ourselves, no matter what it looks like, this is temporary. This is not my eternal address. Heaven is my home. So what a great feast to remind us to keep our eyes on what's yet before us. Do you notice the pattern, though, that's being developed throughout all these feasts? It's very similar. Party people practice gratitude. Every one of these festivals, every one of these celebrations, you are a person of gratitude. Party people practice gratitude, and gratitude is where joy comes from. See, some of us wrongly, we think of joy wrongly. We think that we'll be joyful people when, when I get that promotion at work or when I get more, when I have more people in my life. See, we wrongly characterize it that we think that accumulation leads to celebration when, in fact, it's appreciation that leads to celebration. Uh, you know that even because you've tried this formula accumulation would somehow lead to celebration and joy and we all know once you get more there's just a little bit more to get right there's never enough that leads to this joy filled life but appreciation leads to gratitude but it's the practice of it that's why Jesus or God institutes these celebrations we're to practice being people of celebration of gratitude because that leads to the joyful life. And a joyful life is a resilient life. So there's a researcher, and uh, she's very interesting, Brené Brown. Some of you may have seen her. She's been done TED Talks. And, and she, does, she studied uh, gratitude and joy. And it's very interesting in the relationships. In her research book, the, the Gifts of Imperfection, she points out some of her discoveries. This is what she says. One of the most profound changes in my life happened when I got my head around the relationship between gratitude and joy. I always thought that joyful people were grateful people because they always had reasons to be grateful. They always had reasons to be grateful, and their lives were good. But after countless hours of gathering data and stories about joy, a powerful pattern emerged. Without exception, every person interviewed who described living joyful life or described themselves as joyful, can you say this with me? Actively practiced Gratitude. Actively practice gratitude. Keep that mind in phrase. And attribute it their joyfulness to their gratitude practice. Here's what she's driving at, and here's what the Bible is driving at. Some of us think thoughts that are grateful. We even think appreciative thoughts. But we don't live joyful lives. And we wonder why, if we think those things, like I have an attitude of gratitude, why is it that joy is not followed? Because it's not in the thinking, it is in the practicing. So let me unpack that a little bit. You might be very grateful for the people that live in your house if you live with people. You might even appreciate them. But if you don't display that gratitude and display that appreciation, they don't know it. And in fact, it is the display of gratitude that lets people know they are appreciated. It's not what you feel, it's how they feel. How they feel. And it's the same with gratitude with God. We could gather in a room like this, and well, yeah, I'm grateful, I'm thankful for God, I'm thankful for God, but we never display it. We don't participate in worship. We don't display it in in our countenance. Our words don't display it. We we don't express it. And what happens in turn is we live lives that maybe are quietly grateful in some way measure or another, but we wonder where the joy is. The joy is in the practice of gratitude. It is actually displaying it. It is actually expressing it to others and to God. That's where that joy comes from as we practice it and display it. So, you know, do you practice it? Here's the last festival, the Day of Atonement. Interesting festival here. This is all about forgiveness for sins. It's also mentioned in Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23. What would happen is God had the people bring two goats to the priests, the high priests. One goat would be sacrificed because there was a shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. The other goat, very interesting, and Pastor Keith has taught about that in in this church before, but... I think there was an illustration of a goat on the stage. Some of you are here for that? Yeah, you're laughing. You remember. But the priest would then put his hands on the second goat and ceremonially put the sins of the people on that goat. And the goat would be released into the wilderness. And the sins were gone. And the idea would be, that's where we get the term scapegoat. That's where it comes from, the Day of Atonement. And so... It's a funny celebration party. You even hear that in our modern sense, and you're like, oh, that's funny. But in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist is baptizing people. He's teaching. And he sees Jesus coming. He turns to all of his crowd of followers, and he says this, Behold, look, the scapegoat. Behold the one who comes to take away the sins of of this world friends we are people of the party we are people of celebration we are people of joy why look at what god has done think of all the faithful moments of god in days gone by not just to you but generations before you then think of how good he's been to you in the past, how he provided for you in moments when you didn't think there was gonna be provision, how he lifted guilt from you that you couldn't wipe away. You know, you try to ignore it, you try to pat it down, you try to say it's just your guilty, they used to say it's just your Catholic conscience, (laughs) they used to say that. You couldn't escape it, but Jesus removed the guilt. And then remember who he is right now. This is why gathering is so important. We sing songs, remind each other, who is God today? You know what he is? He's the same today as he was yesterday. And then you look to the future with hope then. This is temporary. Whatever I'm going through, temporary. My hope is in Christ and the future he has ahead for me. So Father, we bless you today. We are so thankful for you and the gift of your son, Jesus. You have made us to be people of the party, to celebrate. And God, I know there are people in this room today that it's very difficult to find a lot of reasons to celebrate, maybe because of what they're going through right now. And collectively, as a church family, we pray you'd be present with them, God. That you would carry them through. And God, I pray in this moment that they would choose to take their eyes off their difficulties, to take their eyes off their momentary afflictions, as your word says. But they would understand there's a future glory yet to be seen. And God, their heart would be reminded through gratitude for all that you've done in the past. They would practice gratitude so that their joy, the joy that distinguishes us, would be made known so that, God, we can live the resilient life. Lord, thank you. Thank you for instituting and commanding celebration because we need reasons and reminders. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.